Brian's going to read the scripture this morning. We're going to dive into the book of Proverbs um, as we've been doing for the past several weeks, uh, nine weeks actually. This is our ninth week, ninth week in the book of Proverbs. But before Brian reads, uh, I was thinking about this just this morning. I was thinking that the public reading of scripture is something that the church has been doing for centuries. And the, the Proverbs that, that Brian's about to read, they, they were written about 2,700 years ago. These Proverbs have been read by people by generation after generation after generation for 2,700 years. And we're about to hear them again. And they're just as important and necessary um, and applicable to us today as they were back then. So let's open up our ears to hearing the word this morning. Today's scripture comes from all over the books of Proverbs. The words of the wicked lie in wait for blood, but the speech of the upright rescues them. From the fruit of their lips, people are filled with good things, and the work of their hands brings them reward. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. From the fruit of their lips, people enjoy good things, but the unfaithful have an appetite for violence. Those who guard their lips preserve their lives, but those who speak rashly will come to ruin. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge appealing, but the mouth of a fool belches out foolishness. Gentle words are a tree of life. A deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. A person finds joy in, in giving an apt reply, and how good is a timely word. Kings take pleasure in honest lips. They value the one who speaks what is right. The hearts of wise people guide their mouths. The words make people want to learn more. Kind words are like honey. They are sweet to the spirit and bring healing to the body. Scoundrels create trouble. Their words are a destructive blaze. A troublemaker plants seeds of strife. Gossip separates the best of friends. The one who has knowledge uses words with restraint, and whoever has understanding is even-tempered. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. The lips of fools bring them strife and their mouths invite a beating. <laughs> the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. Those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity. An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. Through patience, a ruler can be persuaded and a gentle tongue can break a bone. A lying tongue hates those it hurts, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Whoever rebukes a person will in end gain favor rather than one who has a flattering tongue. This is God's word. Thank you, Brian. Um, we've been in the book of Proverbs, and um, I've been looking forward to this week because um, the book of Proverbs has a ton to say about our tongues, our speech, our words. That assortment of Proverbs that Brian just read is just actually a sampling of the many Proverbs. There's so many more that talk about, uh, that talk about the tongue, that talk about our language, that talk about our, the power of what we say. And so the Proverbs sort of twisted our arms this morning and compelled us to, to really take a moment and look at this theme that Proverbs is trying to help us understand. The big idea, well, I mean, the big idea that Proverbs is trying to get us to understand about our tongues, about our words, is this, is that learning to speak wisely is all important. Learning to speak wisely 
is so vitally important to our lives and to others' lives. It's a huge, huge deal. And uh, so we're talking about it this week. Uh, three things that all these Proverbs sort of point us to. It talks to us about the authority of our words, the character of our words, and then the healing of our words. The, the authority, the character, and the healing of our words. Uh, that's what we'll look at today. By the way, next week, um, you don't want to miss next week. Next week, we're still in this sermon series, but we're going to dive into the book of Ecclesiastes. And I'm just giving you a warning. Next week is going to get philosophical, all right? Um, if you're a thinker or if you've got a friend who's like a thinker or if you, even if you've got, um, you know, somebody who's like an agnostic, atheist, I just don't know if I can believe any of that stuff. Next week is the perfect week um, because the writer of Ecclesiastes, the professor, um, really is tackling some really big philosophical things that people still believe today and that people believed back then. I'm excited for next week. You don't want to miss it. But today, first, the authority, the authority of our words. Um, we all know that words are powerful. These Proverbs point to a couple things. First, we know that words can wound. Words can wound. Um, Proverbs 12, 18 says, The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And what you know is that when you say a word, when you say something, it's, it's out, right? Whenever you say something, it's it becomes alive. It's out on the table. And the proverb uses this really cool picture of a sword because, you see, you can stab somebody with a sword and you could pull out the sword. But when you pull out the sword, you don't pull out the wound. The wound is still there, even if you pull the sword out. And words are really, really similar to that, too. Once you say something, it's out and wounds or, and, and words can really um, wound others, and we've all had those moments, right? We get, I mean, in fact, in fact, I could just grab this microphone and we could just take our time and we could all just come up and we could share our stories about when people said some things to us that just went right to our insecurities and just really wounded us, maybe even from when we were little kids and we still remember those moments. Not only can words wound, but words can kill. Words can kill. Uh, Proverbs 18, 21, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will, will eat its fruit. Life and death, the tongue has the power to give life, and the tongue has power to take it away. It can actually kill. Um, physically kill, you say? Yes. Words have the power to physically kill. Wars have been started, and millions of people have died because of words, because of language, um, we all know, or maybe we know someone personally, we know their stories of people who words are spoken to them and they go commit suicide because it just went right to the heart of what was, what was going on in their hearts. Wounds can kill. They're that powerful. They hold the power of life and death. But not only do they, they can kill physically, but they can also kill um, psychologically. They can kill psychologically. You name a child stupid when they're a child, and they will wrestle with that psychologically for the rest of their life. You name a child, you know, chubby when they're a kid, and they'll just wrestle with that. You, you sort of teach a kid when they're little that, they're, that your acceptance of them is based on their performance. And that will shade the rest of their lives and will cause so much psychological damage. Words can not only kill physically, but they can kill psychologically. And words can also kill relationally. Words kill community. Words kill communities like this all the time. Proverbs 16, 26 says, A troublemaker plants seeds of strife, but gossip separates the best of friends. Gossip. Gossip will just kill communities like this. 
So we know, we know that words are really, really powerful. They have authority in all sorts of different ways. And so, you know, we've all heard that sticks and stones may break my bones, but which is garbage, right? Which is so not true. Whoever came up with that does not live in reality because words have so much power and authority over our lives. But check this out. This is really interesting. Think about this. That interestingly, words have power and authority over the hearer and the speaker. Words have power over the hearer, but also words have power over the one who's, who's speaking them. A couple of the ones that Brian read are, are, are in here, Proverbs 12, 14. From the fruit of their lips, people are filled with good things. So our lips can bring good things, but also Proverbs 18, 6 says, The lips of fools bring them strife, and their mouths invite a beating. Um, words have power and authority, not just for the people who hear, but for, the, for those that speak it. For instance, for instance, here's an example. If in your heart you see somebody else that's maybe succeeding or somebody that you just don't like, and in your, you know, in your heart, in your mind, you're, you're thinking, I hate them. I just hate them. The thing about that is, is, see, at first you said it because you felt it. But once you say it, now, you've, now you feel it because you said it. Does that make sense? At first you say it because you felt it, but then once you say it, now you feel it because you said it. And it becomes this, this thing. Then when we start to name things and we start to use our words about things, now it, it just feeds whatever that is, whether it's good or whether it's wicked. It has that kind of authority over us. And if you think about it, this makes complete sense. God, he creates the world. And what does God do? In Genesis chapter one, he's creating the world. And what, how, does his, how does he create the world? Genesis tells us that he he speaks. He speaks. Let there be. That in God's very nature, there's this power of language, this power of words. He speaks. He's let there be light. Let there be man. Let there be woman. Let, you know, let there be. And he speaks. And because we're made in his image, therefore, our words have a lot of power. Our words have power to create, authority to create, and our words have the authority to decreate, to uncreate to break, to tear, to damage. Our words have a lot of authority. You know all this, but the Proverbs knows, that, knows this about you too. Um, how, do we how do we use words in order to create beautiful things rather than uncreate, rather than to decreate? Well, the Proverbs help us. There's a couple things in here. Four things, four things about the character of our words. Um, we want to have honest words. We want to have gentle words, we want to have fitting words, and we want to have direct words, okay? Um, honest, gentle, fitting, direct. So first, the character of our words, we should have honest words. Honest words. Proverbs 16, 13, kings take pleasure in honest lips. They value the one who speaks what is right. Honest lips. Um, there's this publication that I read every once in a while. It's, uh, I call it my second Bible. It's called Cosmopolitan. It's a, uh, it's a magazine. <clears throat> and uh, actually, there was this article several years ago that, uh, you know I'm joking, by the way, right? Okay. So Cosmo had this article. Uh, it said what you should really look for in a guy. You know, what you, they have these articles all the time. But there's this one that came out several years ago. What you should really look for in a guy, ladies. And here's what Cosmo said that you should really look for in a guy. You should look for a sense of humor. It said that you should look for sexy body language. Um, it, said, it said, honestly, it said uh, you should look for a manly scent. 
That's what Cosmo's helping us out here, everybody. Should look for a, a manly scent and passion. Should have passion. And there's a couple other things on that list. But you know what's interesting to me? That honesty wasn't on that list. That's a problem, right? Honesty isn't even on the list. And Proverbs says that our lips should be honest. It should be honest. Um, we all know we love it when someone's trustworthy and we know that what they say to us is the truth. We love that, right? Those are trustworthy people. But we also know how much it hurts, how much dishonesty just kills relationships. Dishonesty just shatters relationships. Lying in relationships just breaks. In fact, when our kids lie, we tr- you know, and some of them, you know, they're in this season where they're, you know, they've, they've, they're dishonest in some ways. And so when they do that, I try to have a sit down and, you know, I'm, I'm frustrated and I just want to like discipline. But I'm trying to help them understand why this is a big deal. And the, the, what I go to is just, hey, you know, William, when you lie, here's what happens. Is it, is it hurts our relationship. It, it like breaks our relationship. It tears it. And, and I want to be able to trust you and you want to be able to trust me. But when we lie, it, it, it hurts that. And so that's why, that's why lying is a big deal. It's not just don't lie. It's, oh, it's because there's consequences to lying. And Proverbs says that honest, honest words is what we need. Next is um, um, gentle words. We need gentle words. Proverbs 15, 1 says, a gentle answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 15.4. Gentle words are a tree of life. A deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. It's true. Um, Gentle words. Now, if you are tempted to think, oh, gentle words. Oh, that sounds, I mean, like, okay, fine, gentle words. But that's a little bit weak. Gentle words are a little bit um, namby-pamby. Gentle words are a little bit spineless. Um, You're wrong. You're wrong. If you think gentle words are spineless, you are wrong. Because it takes courage. It takes boldness to have gentle words. Especially when you're angry. Especially when, when truth needs to be told. Having gentle words takes a lot of bravery and courage. Because you can, tell, you can say gentle words and be utterly truthful. And you can have gentle words and be argumentative. And pull out things that need to be pulled out. But you can say them with gentleness. And the Proverbs compels us. It tells us, man, have gentle words. And if you think they're a little bit namby-pamby, listen to this one. Proverbs 25, 15 says this. Through patience, a ruler can be, be, can be persuaded, and a gentle tongue can break a bone. A gentle tongue can break a bone. Having gentle words, even in the midst of conflict and strife, but having a heart that's willing to have gentle words. Wow, those, those are powerful, powerful. Next, fitting words. Fitting words. Proverbs 15, 23. A person finds joy in giving an apt reply. How good is a timely word? Some trans- translations say how beautiful. How beautiful is a timely word? Is an apt response. Um, words, and we all know this, but it's just such a good, it was a good reminder for me as I was studying and thinking about this. Words need to be timed correctly and adjusted to the situation. Words, if they're going to be heard, have to be timed correctly and adjusted to the situation. They have to be apt. They have to be fitting. That's actually not being dishonest. You can have honest words and you can have, you know, you can have gentle words, but you can have fitting words, meaning that in one situation you're going to use these kind of words, but in another situation you're going to use these 
kinds of words. In some situations, you're going to bring this up. In other situations, you're not going to bring this up. That is finesse. That's timing. Those are apt. Those are apt words. For instance, when you married people or dating people or, you know, or even just friends, people, whatever, if you're driving in the car and you're late to the restaurant and you're tired and hungry, that is not the time to discuss your finances, <laughs> right? That is not the time to, to discuss the in-laws, right? That is not the time to talk about it. Um, don't bring it up there, you know, at that moment because it's not going to go well. There needs to be an aptness to our words, um, and uh, what I love is Jesus did this so well. Jesus was the master at this, of, of fitting his words to, to this, the right situation. Wait, before I get to that, i got to read this proverb, because this is actually super interesting. Proverbs 24, 26 says, An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. It's one of the only places in the Bible, actually, that mentions a kiss on the lips. And, you know, commentators have a lot of interesting things to say about that verse just because it's sort of, you know, it's one of the only ones that talk about a kiss on the lips. But, you know, what's interesting, kiss on the lips in our culture tends to mean romance. But in ancient cultures, it, it didn't necessarily mean that. It, it was actually sort of a, a, a measuring of social, social position in that culture. So if you met somebody on the road that was, that was your senior, was, was like higher up in rank than you were, like in the social order, then you would not dare kiss them on the lips or on the cheek. You'd kiss them on the hand. Or perhaps you'd even kiss them on the feet if you were the lowest of the low. But if you, were, if you met somebody on the road and you were slightly under them in social rank, then you would greet each other with a kiss on the cheek. But if you were equals... If you were equals in status, then you would greet each other with a kiss on the lips. And what this verse is sort of alluding to is telling us is that if, if you want to have apt speech, if you want to have fitting speech, then you need to come down, as it were. You need to sort of adjust so that you can find the other person's lips. Because if you don't find the other person's lips, then they won't, they won't be able to hear you. They won't be able to understand you. They won't be able to listen to you. This is so applicable in relationships because, you know, guys, girls, we just communicate so differently. And there's so many times where guys like, guys like, dude, I told her, I told her a hundred times. And she's like, you didn't tell me. And he probably, you know, he thought he did, but he, he didn't find her lips. He didn't say it in the way that she needed to hear it. And the same thing goes for, you know, for her. She's like, I told him, but maybe she didn't find his lips. And this verse is saying, this verse is telling us, adjust, fitting, find a place, find each other's lips so that your words can be heard. Uh, Jesus did this so perfectly. One of the places I love is where where this is so evident is Jesus is comforting Mary and Martha because their brother Lazarus has just died and Jesus is on his way to go meet the family and he's late and Lazarus is dead. And, and what's interesting in that passage is, is one of the sisters comes out first. I think, it was, I think it was Martha comes out first. And Martha says, Jesus, if you would have gotten here sooner, our brother wouldn't have died. And you know how Jesus responds? Jesus responds in a way that confronts the flow of her heart. And he sort of, he doesn't come out heavy on her, but he basically says, listen, Trust me, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then Mary comes out, and Mary says, uh, separately, and Mary says the same thing. Jesus, if you would have gotten here sooner, our brother wouldn't have died. And you know what Jesus does? He does something completely different than he did with Martha. Well, he enters into the flow of her heart, and it says that he weeps. 
he weeps with her. Same situation, two different situations, but Jesus uses apt words. Jesus is so, so good at this. And we tend to not be so good at it um, when it comes to finding each other's lips. Fitting words, timely words. And then finally, direct words. Direct words. Um, This one is one of the hardest ones for us, especially for us Christians, unfortunately. This is one of the ones that we're weakest at. Now, not all of us. Some of you are really good at direct words, all right? Some of you are getting an A++ in honest words and direct words. You're just really good, all right? You're just, you're good at those. And then I would say the majority of us, though, the majority of us uh, are, are better at the gentle words and the fitting words, but we're not very good at the, at the honest, direct words. We're not great at that. So for those of you who are really good at the, at the honest, direct words, then you're going to need to sort of beef up your, your fitting, your apt, and your gentle words. And for most of us here who are really good at gentle and apt, we need to, we need to hear some of these proverbs that teach us that direct words, that honest, direct words sometimes are the most beautiful, loving words. Listen, listen to this. Proverbs 28, 23. Whoever rebukes a person will in the end gain favor rather than one who has a flattering tongue. Rebuke. That's, that's not a good, it sounds like puke. It's not a good word, right? We don't like that word rebuke. It's, it's just a, but this proverb is saying, no, rebuke. If done in honesty, with gentleness, with an aptness, then a direct word is a beautiful thing. Proverbs 27.6 says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Um, we need to hear this, especially a lot of us Christians, because we just, we've been taught from really young that men, you know, and it's true, Christians, we're supposed to be gentle and kind, and it's all very true, but we're also called to be direct with our language, meaning if somebody hurts you, it's appropriate for you to go have a conversation. And that conversation might be hard, but it's appropriate to go and say, hey, that hurt, all right? It's appropriate for our community. If you see somebody in our midst, somebody in our community who is not, is not following Jesus in a way that they profess, they're, they're, living, they're speaking out of two ends of their mouth, they're, they're saying that they love Jesus and follow Jesus, but over here, their, their, their business practices are crooked or, you know, they're a swindler or they're, you know, they're, uh, whatever it is over here. You got somebody who's, uh, you know, who's saying one thing but doing another. Then it is our job, it's our responsibility to go and have a direct conversation. Man, I don't think we do it enough. I don't think we do it enough. I think we shy away. because we Why? Because we want people to like us. And we don't want to cause waves, and I, you know, I don't want to be that person, and you know, and I just I'll let somebody else handle it. And sometimes we abdicate our responsibility to have direct words with one another because wounds from a friend, coming from the coming from the right heart, whoever rebukes a person will in the end gain favor, favor, rather than one who has a flattering tongue. Um, yeah, I'll always remember being a young leader, and Nate Petzl was, was my leader over me, and I remember I was leading worship at the Onyx House, and Nate was going on a trip, and he wasn't going to be there for one college group, and, he, and I asked him if I could lead this one song, like, hey, I really like this song, can I lead this song? 
And, uh, and he said, I don't know if I like that song. Let's hold back from that song. But he was gone that week. And I thought, well, you know what? He probably doesn't, you know, if I do the song and people love it, he'll come back and he'll see that, that like, it's actually a good song to do. So, you know, so I did the song. And Nate gets back and he calls me into his office. And he hammered me. In, in, a, in a loving, kind, but direct he said, what made you think that you could go over my head and do that? And I was, I almost peed my pants. I was so scared. He just, just looked at me just, and I just melted and, you know, and, and you know what? I look back on that. I'm so glad. I'm so glad he was just direct with me. I'm so glad he corrected me in that moment. I needed, my heart needed that. He could have chickened out, right? He could have said, uh, I won't say that hard thing to him, you know, because I want to be the cool pastor guy. But he didn't. And I'm so glad he didn't because I needed that as a young leader. Direct words. Now, um, honest words, gentle words, fitting words, direct words. Those are, uh, those, I think, what am I trying to say? Basically, after I'm done with the sermon and you guys start talking, you're going to violate all these in like five minutes. Right? We just are not good at all these. In fact, it would be so irresponsible and would not help at all if I just said, all right, let's just work on those, guys. We'll just try harder and we'll just do good. Like, all right, let's pray, you know? No, that's not going to change it. It's not going to help us. We're just going to fall flat. And Proverbs knows that. The Bible knows that. God knows that. And so hidden in these Proverbs is this clue. How do our words get healed? How do we get how do we get these, this kind of character in our words? How do we have these words that can create instead of decreate, instead of uncreating? There's a little clue in Proverbs. It's sort of tucked away. It's Proverbs 16, 23. Brian read it earlier. Proverbs 16, 23. It just sort of blew by. But man, this is huge. It says this. Proverbs 16, 23. The hearts of wise people guide their mouths. The hearts of wise people guide their guides their mouths. James, uh, I'm not going to read James to you, but there's a whole big section of chapter in James where James just talks about the power of the tongue and how you can't tame a tongue. You can tame all sorts of animals, but you can't tame the tongue, which is true because I saw Swiss Family Robinson recently. It's true. You can do all sorts of things with animals, but you can't. You can't tame the tongue. And James says that one of the problems with the tongue is that, is that it comes from deep within us. It comes from our hearts. And what happens is, is you can't have fresh water come from a salty spring. It doesn't work that way. And Jesus picks up on all this. And Jesus talking to his disciples says some dynamite words in Luke chapter 6. Jesus, this is Jesus' words. He's talking about our hearts. He's talking about our mouths. And he says this. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Can we just say that all together? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Jesus is just reading our mail right now. He's just getting under, he, he's getting under everything. Here's what he's saying. He says, the only way, the only way for you to have healed words is to have a healed heart. 
The only way for you to get new words is to get a new heart. Why? Because your words don't come from your mouth. Your words don't come from here. Your words come from what you're full of. Our words come from our hearts. And it's so easy for us when words are just sort of like, sort of like come out of us, you know, when we have words and, you know, we say things in an argument and then later we're like, man, why did I say that? We tend to think it's because our filter isn't strong enough. So we feel like, okay, I got to like beef up my filter, you know, I can't, shouldn't say that. I, I guess I should try to say that more. I should be more encouraging. I shouldn't say those, you know, those, those words, you know, so I just try to beef up the filter. And Jesus is saying, you, it's not about your filter. You can beef up your filter all day long, all day long and you're not getting to the root. Your words are coming from your heart. You could have the best filter and still have a broken, ugly heart. In fact, our words are one of, are two things that the Bible tells us are good indicators of our heart. Where our money goes and what our, what our lips are saying. There are two things that we know are good indicators of what's going on under the hood. I'm, I'm, I don't, I know nothing about cars. I open up my hood and I, it just like, it works somehow. I don't know how it works. There's science involved. I take it to my friend Brian. He fig- figures it out, you know. I don't know how it works. But I've got these little instruments in my car that tell me if my gas is low, you know, and if like something's hot or overheating, right? Your instruments to know what's going on under the hood are your words and where your money is going to. If you want to know what's going on in your heart, just look at those things. And you'll be able to see the direction and the flow of your heart. So... We need new hearts if we're going to have new words. Um, how do you get a new heart, you say? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Right here, I'm about to tell you. How do we get new hearts? Um, something really, really cool happens in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. It's called Pentecost. The church is sort of huddled and waiting Pentecost comes, the Holy Spirit comes and fills them. And you know, the first thing that's healed is their words. The first thing that's, that's made new is their language. It's their language. Why? Because their hearts are filled with something. Their hearts are filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is filling their hearts and pointing their hearts towards Jesus. And let's look at Jesus for a second. No one spoke like Jesus. You look at Jesus' words in the Gospels, you know what you see? No untruthful word, no unapt word, every word gentle, but every word direct, honest words, apt words, gentle words, direct words, every page, every moment, Jesus, no one spoke like Jesus. Jesus is our example, but he's not only our example. Because Jesus comes, and do you know how the Bible describes Jesus? The, describable, the Bible describes Jesus. John 1 describes Jesus as the Word. The Word. That in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word. And not only just the Word, but also Hebrews chapter 1 says Jesus is the final Word. <laughs> That God in years past talk, spoke to us through the prophets, but now he is ultimately and finally speaking to us through his son. And not only is Jesus is the final word, he also gets the final word. Because when Jesus is on the cross, 
and, and people, and even his people who were just cheering Hosanna for him just a, few, just, just a little earlier, they're, they're, they've yelled crucify him and they're spitting on him and they're cheering for his death. When they are unleashing hell on him, he unleashes heaven on them and says, God, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Jesus gets the final word because he is the final word. Jesus gets baptized in the Jordan River and there's a voice from the Father that says, you are my beloved son and you I'm well pleased. I'm so pleased with you. And Jesus takes that and puts that at the root of his identity and he goes, marches out and goes right into his temptations into the desert. And he's able to withstand Satan's temptations because he knows I am a beloved son. I am the beloved of the Father. And that's the word that you and I so desperately need. Listen, I don't know what's going on in your life right now. I don't know what's happening. But I know that all of your troubles and all of your insecurities and all the reasons why, why you, you lie and try to pull other people down and the reason why there's just dysfunction with our words, all of it is because so desperately at our core, we need to hear those same words. That we are beloved that I'm a son, I'm a daughter, I don't have to prove myself, I'm already adopted, I'm a child of God. We need, to, those are the words we need to hear. That's the words that you need to hear, that your heart needs to hear in order for you to get a new heart, in order for you to be healed. And do you know how you get that new heart? Listen, listen. Jesus on the cross took our place. We deserve the silent treatment from God. Have you ever gotten the silent treatment? Stinks, right? Yeah, have you ever given it to somebody? Yeah, you know you have. I know. You've given the silent treatment. And you've given it because you know what it feels like to get it. We hate getting the silent treatment. And you know what you and I deserve from our Heavenly Fathers who's completely good, completely just, completely amazing, is we deserve the silent treatment but for, uh, be, because of our rebelliousness, because of our hearts that want to do our own thing. But you know what Jesus got? On the cross for us, he got the divine silent treatment. He got it. He got the silent treatment. He cries, Father, why have you forsaken me? He gets the silent treatment so that we could hear the word that we so desperately need. You're a son. You're a daughter. I love you. And Jesus conquered it all by rising again from the grave. And if that's true, church then you don't have to lie. You, you don't have to try to look yourself, look better with your words. You don't have to use your words to jockey for position. Why? Because you've got a God that looks at you and says, no, I love you. You're accepted already. You've got grace. And when, to the, to the degree that you believe that, to the degree that you bring that into your heart, you will be a Christian, you will have a new heart, and you will have new and healed words.